0: well-being and the well-being of your community, our society, uh, <laughs> That can't say that with a straight face nowadays, and the ecological uh, balance of uh, our earth, uh, that is our, our habitat that we live on and from which we derive life. Um, I'm a long-standing journalist of health, food, and the environment in terms of public policy, popular attitudes, and also a media critic. And each week on the show, we talk with different journalists, advocates, scientists, thought leaders, um, you know, activists of all stripes, filmmakers, poets, a whole host of people, which, you know, all of whom focus on different aspects of our interconnected world, Um, which, you know, all of this, which is kind of my standard show open, you know, kind of resonates in a different way, given everything that's been going on in the year 2020. Um, I'm really uh, delighted to have as our guest today um, someone who's going to give us a kind of on-the-ground look of what the first half of the year in, um, you know, one of the most dramatically uh, both uh... impacted and activated parts of our country namely new york city new york new york our guest today is john tarleton he is a a co-founder and the executive editor of the independent a progressive new york city-based newspaper and website that's now in its twentieth year of publication john has won numerous community and labor journalism awards over the past two decades And, you know, I have to say, as a New Yorker and also a sometime or a very occasional contributor to The Independent, it's really great to have, you know, a newspaper um, that uh, covers progressive issues, tracks what's going on, and that you can kind of pick up on the street corner, uh, just like you know, it used to be the case with with papers and all, and it's freely available in the city and widely read. Uh, and for people outside of the five boroughs, um, it's also available online. And if you're looking for it, which I highly recommend, um, independent is sort of independent, I-N-D-Y pendant. Uh, and you'll find it that way on, so, you know, on the internet. Um, just, you know, kind of Throwing that out there, we'll repeat it later too. Um, anyway, it's great to be um, talking and catching up with you, John Tarleton, and welcome to Connect the Dots.
1: Hi, Allison. It's great to be with you.
0: So you know, I have been, you know, it, like for me, kind of doing. There's there's so much that's been happening so fast. And so intensely, uh, you know, this year is kind of unlike any other from what we've seen so far, um, beginning with the terrible Australian bushfires, you know, almost on the very first day of the year. Uh, and then it, you know, it, it hasn't really improved all that much. Uh, you know, we're in a, a global pandemic. And of course, um, New York was one of the first and hardest hit places. And so, you know, and that's just kind of for starters. So in looking back over, you know, the last six months of the independent, it really is, you know, it's almost like a a decade of happenings has been compressed into this short amount of time. And I know that a lot of um, Connect the Dot listeners, you know, follow these, uh, follow what's going on very closely. But I thought that um, it would really be interesting for people to kind of, hear not about only the events uh, which are important but also the zeitgeist and the and the learning that comes um, from you know going through our current uh, you know crisis uh, really is the only way to describe it on multiple levels. You know, in New York City and among New Yorkers, New York being one of the most activist places in the country, or maybe there are others, too, I don't want to say we're the first in that regard, but it's certainly true that people in New York are more aware and activated um, around all of these issues. Um, So, you know, in looking, one of the things that, you know, we hear a lot about the science of the – you know, of the uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 and, and the illness that results and everything. We hear a lot about the policy and, you know, kind of ch- constant changes in policy or lack of effective policy. Um, but, you know, what I think m- many people don't have a picture of um, and therefore are repeating um, some mistakes, Um perhaps out of a lack of knowledge or perhaps out of something else, you know, politics or other things. But, you know, I thought that if people could kind of learn along with us who are New Yorkers the lessons um, of this year from a New York perspective, you know, it might really help inform um, how things go forward. So, Certainly. um yeah. So I mean, I think, you know, probably the place to begin is with the coronavirus and the lockdown in New York, you know, becoming a hot spot. Um right. what do you, you know, so I'd love to hear your thoughts about that and and what what the learnings from that experience and the takeaways from that, how they have shaped and changed New Yorkers and how they really can inform what we're dealing with
1: here, right? Uh, so certainly, certainly, the coronavirus uh, COVID nineteen is has been the 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 big story of twenty twenty here in New York. Certainly not the only story, you know, as we've seen with the George Floyd protests and some yeah. of our recent political primaries, which maybe we can talk about a little later. But we will be, yep. yeah. Co- uh, COVID nineteen is uh, yeah has had a a shattering impact on the city. Uh, and, and completely re- rearranged, uh, people's lives. Um, so, I mean, I mean first of all, the, 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 the way it was handled, it was handled very poorly, uh, initially by our political leadership, uh, both at the state and the city level. That uh, um, the, the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, uh, and our, our mayor, Bill de Blasio, both Democrats, r- were very slow to, uh, comprehend the magnitude of the crisis that was barreling at them, and for uh, listeners outside of New York City, uh, the the New York governor has uh, an immense amount of sway over what happens in the city. People tend to think of the city as sort of its own entity, but state politics and a, and a powerful governor also have a lot of sway over what happens in the city, and uh, you know they, they both both of them really underplayed the. Gravity of what was happening, and I think uh, 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 sort of uh, felt secure in this sort of New York exceptionalism, like, oh, well, it's happening in China or it's happening in Seattle, but it won't really affect us. For which is crazy <laughs> when you think about, you know, how something like a respiratory virus spreads in the age of uh, jet travel and and commerce and in, in business. Uh, so we we were a, a sitting duck, and our political leaders didn't understand that, because it obviously meant having to rearrange how everybody in this city of, you know, eight and a half million people uh, lives. Uh, So they were very slow to close down our public schools. You know, later, more than 70 educators would die of the coronavirus. Uh, They were very slow to, uh, you know, comprehend that the subway system was uh, helping spread, you know, was one of the main spreaders of the virus. And, and it's the governor who really controls the subways and, and the MTA, which manages the subway system. So he was really slow to the dot on on that one as well. And of course, um, we've had over 6,000 fatalities in uh, for nursing home patients here in New York City. Governor in March got legislation passed in Albany that that gave legal immunity. Nursing home operators. So you had these mass fatalities where the nursing homes were just, you know, just negligent. And and part of that was because the nursing home industry, which had given more than a billion dollars to the governor in his political career, secured legal immunity right before the, you know, right as the pandemic was hitting the city. So we've been poorly served by our leaders. I would say more in, in. As time has gone along, I think they've done a a better job and and are, you know, more or less being guided by science and, you know, and and, and rational considerations in a way that we're not seeing, you know, in other states and and from the Trump administration. But we we did pay a high price for their uh, initial, uh, dithering. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, that's something that, you know, still needs to be address because, I mean, New York state has lost over 31,000 people. And if we were, you know, an independent country, we'd we'd be like, I think fifth or sixth in total COVID-19 fatalities. And and also this public health crisis has highlighted the incredible disparities in in, in wealth and uh, power in this city. So you had a situation where, the very wealthy could, you know, just flee the city and go to their second or third homes in the Hamptons or upstate or Rhode Island or wherever. And and then you had the, the sort of the middle and upper middle class uh, knowledge workers uh who were able to uh, work at home. I mm-hmm. For myself, I've been mostly able to work at home as a journalist. And, and you know, I haven't been re- writing the subway nearly as much as before. Uh, and then you had, you know, all these uh, what we call essential workers—the the, the nurses, the the grocery store clerks, uh, you know, the, uh, the transit workers, and et cetera—who had to travel back and forth to work every day, often you know, on the subway systems, you know, which were you know really germ-infested spreaders of of the of the virus, and, and also just you know interact with pu- the public in a way that. Uh, you know, made them far more exposed. So, uh, you know, the disproportionate amount of people getting sick here in New York, uh, you know, were from the city's uh, black and brown working class, um, and, and 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 these were often people. They got sick. They lived in you know apartments with you know multiple generations of their own family. So, um, you know, the crowded housing, you know, also obviously contributed to this, and and. So it it it's really highlighted, you know, longstanding inequities that are here in this city and, and that I you know are present in much of our society. And and then of course New York, you know, what makes kind of New York New York is the is, is the urban density. It, you know, there's all the diverse cultures and people and interactions that you have in, you know, normal pre COVID times and that's all of a sudden become a Tremendous liability for for public health. So, and and so you know we take into practicing social distancing, but the whole point of New York in 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 some ways to bring people together in in large numbers. And now we've had to socially distance, and it it, it raises a lot of questions about what the at least near and intermediate term future of the city is going to look like, and you know whether you know, a lot of people continue to want to live here or not. hmm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, um, <clears throat> you know, it's uh, especially, I suppose, you know, where anywhere from another year to a several-year trajectory uh, could be projected for COVID-19, you know, kind of pandemic-level activity. Um, you know, how – One of the things that, um, you know, I was just heartbroken by As somebody who does a lot in Brooklyn um, and takes buses is that, you know, the transit system workers were immediately affected. The, The bus drivers, you know, who one really, you know, the trains are kind of impersonal. You wouldn't necessarily see a transit worker if you take a train at, you know, at all maybe rarely mm-hmm. um but you know with the buses there's really kind of a human neighborly community interaction that i think um most people don't picture who live outside the city is occurring uh, uh, in a place like new york but which is very much part of that and you know quite a few transit workers were really high uh, and bus drivers, you know, were, were lost um, due to, you know, the slow response where, you know, they're basically in a front-line position where they're exposed to everybody. Um, and, uh, you know, there was uncertainty about mask wearing. So, you know, uh, I mean, how is the whole transit thing happening now with a kind of op- op- open up? I mean, it, you know, is that going to... Um, you know, create a mass, a huge surge or recurrence of illness? I mean, how, how, you know, like there's this whole wish to open up, but then, you know, there really has to be a closer look at what's actually realistic uh, in terms of, you know, health.
1: Right. You know, at the height of the uh, pandemic here in New York, in in the second half of March and April, uh, you know, I mean, subway ridership plummeted by almost, about 90 percent and the, mm-hmm. the subways were moving over five and a half million people or five and a half there were five and a half million riders a day on, in our subway system and, and then uh, you know hundreds of thousands of more uh you know on the buses and and, and so the subway ridership just plummeted which also meant the mta's revenues uh you know fell off the table as well which is uh, gonna you know present some real problems going forward but um, and, and I would say, you know, ridership is slowly creeping back up. I, you know, I, last time I was on the subway, it was about a week ago and it was, you know, there weren't many riders and, uh, and I, uh, it's really hard to say how it's going to work because, you know, you, it, uh, a fully packed subway car can hold about 80 to a hundred people, but, uh, you know, 80 to a hundred people packed into a subway car in this ongoing pandemic is uh then you multiply that by thousands of subway cars uh you know it's a terrible idea from a a public health standard so Mm -hmm. uh, yeah this is one of the great conundrums that new york is facing because it's built new york is made possible by mass transit but now mass transit you know um you know presents a real you know public health danger and and the nta has made it and there's been talk well you know what if you know you know you Limit the number of people to a car, but you know, to safely social distance on the subway car, you probably don't want more than ten or 15, you know, maybe ten, twelve, fifteen people at most, and not you know eighty to a hundred. Um, so, for MTA, I mean, that's financially unviable to run a subway system at um, what you know one uh, six capacity. Mm-hmm. So, and 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 the MTA already had. You know, it's had serious, you know, uh, budget problems for years and all sorts of maintenance has been deferred. And um, and um this goes, I mean, goes to the larger problem, not only here in New York, but all over the country, you know, of, of state and local governments, uh you know, having a, a, a massive loss of revenue due to the pandemic. And, and the only entity that can, you know, make them whole and, and help them get back on their feet is the federal government. But, you know, so far... Trump and McConnell and the Republicans have been, you know, unwilling to, you know, really do uh, much in that direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's it's just uh, it it becomes a kind of, you know, huge, negligent um, population and uh, social framework takedown on so many, you know, uh, dissolution on so many different levels, and I think that, um, you know, the hyper-individualism uh, in the American, you know, mindset, which is also, you know, in, in some quarters caring and cooperation is showing up, and solidarity, and in other places, you know, this hyper-individualism is showing up, and, uh, but in fact, you know, we're getting a real lesson in connection, Um, You know, and how connected everything is and a lot of the things that supported modern life in various places, um, you know, were we're taken for granted. I mean, we never could imagine a scenario where all of this goes away. And I think also it's so um, shocking and disturbing and overwhelming and, and creates tremendous concerns about future uh, for people alive today, and even more so for children and and the coming, you know, any younger generations and everything, that people are, um, you know, having tremendous difficulty um, coping. And this is driving, you know, people toward, you know, sort of hyper-individualistic, survivalist um, uh, beliefs that are kind of, you know, out there on the edge in some way. I think it's very much a product of all these changes. Um,
1: Yeah, I think we're at a moment of reckoning for, uh, you know, uh, this idea of, uh, you know, American hyper-individualism and and, rugged survivalism and and notions like that that have uh, been a part of this society, uh, you know, for the last several hundred years. You know, as a you know a, a colonial settler society you know, conquered the, fr- the frontier, as it were. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of these, you know, a lot of the sort of self image that people have is is you know really count has you know, been counterproductive for a long time. But the, I mean, the pandemic is really bringing that out. The the notion that somehow you know wearing a, a face covering in the middle of a respiratory pandemic. You know, is a sign of, you know, weakness or, you know, emasculation is, is absurd. Uh, and I, I would say, you know, for uh, some of the bleak news I guess I conveyed from here in New York, uh, I would say it seems more than maybe other parts of the country, uh, there has been a, a, a certain amount of rallying, uh, you know, for the common good here in the city. Um, you know, certainly not everybody is wearing a mask, but it's it's the idea of wearing a mask certainly isn't controversial by and large. And even our, our, you know, our leaders, I think have been chastened by this experience and and they recently are, are now saying they're like, you know, having second thoughts about reopening bars and restaurants because they see what's happening in other States. And I think we went through such a horrible experience here in March and April where literally you had ambulance sirens racing around, you know, twenty four hours a day, you know, carrying people off to the hospitals. that I you know, we we've we've learned a, a lesson about the power of the pandemic and I think um there, there is more of an emphasis on uh you know caution, you know, rational decision making um and uh, uh you know uh, concern for others than maybe we're seeing in some of these uh sunbelt states where where the virus is now really exploding
0: mhm mhm- yeah and there's a george
1: floyd you know protests of the last month yeah. uh certainly here in new York uh you know mask wearing is is almost universal At, at the protests I've been to just about everybody you know ninety nine percent or more are, are wearing masks So
0: yeah um, i well that's that's borne out by both all of you know, the, the pictures, because these events are photographed, are very well documented um, right. by, you know, photojournalists and everything who are on the ground, um, and also by the outcomes. I mean, when there was an initial surge in numbers after Memorial Day weekend in some of the more, you know, southern or Florida recreational places, you know, people wanted to, people elsewhere in the country wanted to misassign that, um, to the protests, um, but everybody who 's familiar with the mass wearing at the protests was like, "No, those aren 't the same numbers. Those are the Memorial Day weekend numbers, and so then we 've been waiting for the surge, or some people have been waiting." For it to be proven or disproven either way, that you know the protests were you know going to be uh, cause a tremendous surge and, and that wasn 't borne out you know that that wasn 't happening um, that's that 's really not the issue you know um, i 'd like to talk more about the protests, but let me just backtrack to one thing you know as I interact mm-hmm. with people. Um, through reporting and social media, you know, that is like national in terms of the people that I'm enga- or even international in terms of the people that I'm engaging with. One thing that I've seen is that, you know, in New York, in, in, you know, and in certain parts of California, it's not the only place, certainly, you know, there's more, the concentration of the density leads people to, um, really know more people who've been affected, either whom they know personally, who've been ill or died, or relatives of people they know, or, um, you know, teachers of people they know. (laughs) So there's an entirely different perception about the severity of this from people who are in a nexus of people who've been affected versus someone living in a sparser region of the country who then looks at a statistic and compares you know, that could mean millions of lives, but they compare that to another statistic, and then to them it seems like no big deal. And I think the critical factor is that, you know, one can overly focus on these projections as the science evolves if one doesn't have that direct uh, experience of people that we know and care about becoming ill. Um, so I just wonder if you could speak about that a little bit um, because I think a lot of people are really uh, dissociated in just looking at a screen and lacking that experience.
1: Right. I mean, uh, for myself, I, I've had a couple of uh, friends, uh, one, uh, a, a former uh, writer for The Independent. Um, uh, he was 93 uh, and he passed. He was uh, at a nursing home and, and he died in April, most likely from COVID. I mean, things are a little unclear because of the chaos around the nursing homes. And then, and then another friend I know who was a longtime community organizer who was also in her 90s, um, she passed away um, due to the due to the virus. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's uh, hit home for me. And I have uh, two other friends, uh, one who's 78 and the other is 61, who uh, had a pretty severe cases and have since recovered, but, you know, they took a real beating and, you know, heard from them. And then also just in my uh, neighborhood, you know, certainly throughout the, the height of the pandemic, I mean, I, there were ambulances like literally pulling up on my, like the building across the street from me at like, three times in a week, like an ambulance was right outside, you know, there to pick somebody up and take them to the hospital. And, uh, you know, I, I was, pretty hunkered down at at home at the, you know, at the height of all this, you know, I, I'd go out for brief walks, you know, be out on a five-minute walk and see, you know, see an ambulance with flashing lights outside of an apartment building in my neighborhood. So it was uh, very real. Um, it was not a, uh abstraction at all. And then, of course, you know, you, you, uh, you could hear the ambulance sirens racing around, uh, you know, day and night as well. It was really... You know, it felt like you know, sort of a a war you know, a war zone uh, under siege, and uh, so yeah, it was not it was not abstract, and I think for people here that that lesson hasn't been forgotten yet.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> How did that? Um, you know, it's really kind of you know, an amazing thing <clears throat> that when um, George Floyd was murdered. People who had been living under this duress with that very real sense of personal health risk and everything <clears throat> immediately were ready to, you know, hit the streets wearing masks uh, and, per, you know, participate and be drawn into participating in, in the in these mass actions and protests that went on, you know, for uh, – they're still ongoing, in fact. <clears throat> um, yes. So it, I think it – you know, uh, I, I don't think – it's really kind of ironic because i don't think anyone would have imagined you know everybody would have thought from you know a a year ago at this time that all the action was going to be in the you know presidential race and and all of that and that was you know with the debates and everything that was the the focus uh... and then you know the timing was so strange because you know there's the uh... departure of bernie sanders from the race uh, basically, people left hanging, you know, the choice of necessity between two, you know, very terrible <clears throat> candidates. Uh, you know, I was saying saying, like, sure. I don't even like to think about the presidency, because it's almost like a black hole <laughs> at this point. <clears throat> and yet this tremendous response in terms of grassroots action. And, and you know and and people participating in that and and making stands and you know and in the city these and in other cities these these actions have been you know ongoing and growing uh you know tell tell our listeners and share with us a little bit about <clears throat> you know what that's like um and to have such a strong activist response and you know what's your sense or, or hopes or beliefs are about, like, how that may actually change, you know, some of the things that need to shift in our society.
1: Right. Well, you know, uh, I mean, uh, people here in New York, like listeners around around the country, I mean, we've been seeing these, sh- you know, shocking police videos, uh, right. you know, for a number of years now. I, I mean, here in New York, we ha- in particular, we had the Eric Garner case, uh, yeah. the, the man who was Wrestled to the ground by uh, almost a dozen cops for selling, uh, you know, uh, single cigarettes near the Staten Island Ferry, uh, you know, for like a dollar a piece, which was illegal. So he he was, you know, strangled to death, and, and and there were mass protests in, you know, 2014 here around that, and that event left a very bitter uh, legacy because the the police officer who was filmed choking him to death, uh, Daniel Pantaleo. Uh, not only was, uh, never, uh, charged, uh, with any crime, uh, he was able to stay on the police force, uh, receiving full pay for another five years before he was finally, uh, fired last year. And only after our mayor came under tremendous sustained pressure. So, um, you know, so there, you know, in, 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 in now, you know, coming to 2020, the, you know, this unbelievably shocking, Video of George Floyd's and his life being snuffed out and begging for his life and, you know, begging for his deceased mother to come to his aid. It was also shocking and unbearable to watch, I, I think, for people here in New York and all over the country. And, you know, certainly, and, and, um, obviously the people in, in Minneapolis were the first to, to rise up and, you know, set a really inspiring example with their uh, their courage and determination, and certainly, the, I think on the third night of protests in Minneapolis, when they uh, you know t- seized that uh, a police precinct station and, and set it on fire, that was, uh, yeah, I think, incredibly inspiring to uh, you know people all over the country and uh, and here in New York as well. And you know, there's you know a lot of people here in new york who have a lot of grievances with how the NYPD uh, has conducted itself over the over the years and, and decades it's really almost a, a paramilitary force that the NYPD uh, you know was a you know was its own army it would be like the 10th largest army in the world with 36,000 wow. yeah you know so it's a massive overbearing presence in the city uh, you know, it has a long history of, of, of racist, uh, you know, conduct. Uh, it's accountable to almost no one. You know, mayors barely exert any control over it. So, uh, yeah, people were ready to, you know, were ready to roll. And, uh, you know, we had, you know, just massive protests, especially, uh, you know, I think May 29th that, that, friday night was when it really kicked off here in New York and over the next two weeks this massive protest and not only large protests but literally do- you know dozens of protests sneaking all over the city at the same time, which completely uh overwhelmed the NYPD. and uh um, yeah you know people here in New york made it clearly had you know had enough of uh business as usual and and how that you know the n y p d Uh, conducts itself Um, you know uh, there's uh, you know been a big battle at city council in the past week over trying to defund the police department that uh, unfortunately the mayor really dug in his heels and uh, at least for now has really you know thwarted that um, you know thwarted that process but we'll have municipal elections next year and I
0: why why would the mayor do that? I mean, his campaign, he came to office, really, uh, it, uh, you know, opposing stop and frisk, which is, uh, you know, part of the trajectory toward this militarized police that really began under uh, former Mayor Bloomberg and everything. Why, you know, what happened to him that he's now defending the police? I mean, you know, are they threatening his life? I mean, like, what's... You know, what's your assessment of that? Because it just, you know, he seems, he's very two-faced in his responses. So he'll say platitudes of some kind that indicate, you know, this is unacceptable. But when it actually gets down to making a key policy change, and of course defunding is both reducing the power and the danger that comes from this kind of militarized force in public communities. But it also... um, can remove funding from that and, you know, instead transfer it um, to other uh, things that, that, are, that are needed, like housing, <laughs> you know, feeding the population, public health care. I mean, you know, there's, just as the list goes on and on. Um, is, so, you know, so, and that's a move that's happening. I think, you know, the, the right of citizens to determine our priorities and say this is what we want You know, rather than having a government that's, like, off operating somewhere else and, like, well, we want to, you know, fund the airlines at a time when, you know, air travel um, is shut down pretty much because it's dangerous uh, during a pandemic, and yet they want to give them a big financial giveaway, but they don't, you know, like, it's like the community, the people don't actually have the power to self-determine what our priorities are. And so this is like an incredible benchmark for that. Why is, um, you know, de Blasio opposing that?
1: Well, I think de Blasio's uh, tenure as mayor is, uh, you know, shaping up as a classic case of uh, a a would-be reformer uh, who's uh, entirely been captured by the institutions that he uh, is, at least said he intended to, to change. And uh, when de Blasio ran in 2013, uh, it was coming at the e- end of uh, 12 years uh, of a very autocratic uh, reign by our former mayor, Michael Bloomberg, where the police uh, were so overbearing, the stop and the notorious stop and frisk program uh, was completely out of control. And and de Blasio uh, really laid leaned into his own personal biography um, at, uh, with his, his biracial family, uh, yeah. he married a black woman and has two, uh, had two at that time, um biracial, uh, teenage children, including his son, Dante, uh, mm-hmm. who, you know, famously, you know, uh, cut a commercial with him where he really, you know, leaned into the thing like, I have a, a, a black son and, you uh, know, I'm gonna, uh, you know, d- do something about stop and frisk you know, and, 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 you know policing in this city and and that's what basically uh helped him win in a crowded five way primary in two thousand thirteen and and boosted him into the mayor's office and I would say in his you know first year in office uh there was certainly you know the talk sounded pretty good, and that two things happened first there was the Eric Garner murder in July of two thousand and fourteen and uh you know, he, you know, was really, did not respond effectively to that because the police department, you know, essentially always protects its own. And he didn't, uh, you know, uh, he didn't really have the mojo to confront that. And then later that year, he had, you know, uh, the uh, upsurge in in Black Lives Matter protests here in New York and around the country uh, for weeks. Uh, and, And then uh, toward the end of that uh, there was uh the murder of two police officers by a mentally unstable man that sent the police force and the police unions uh into a frenzy and they they blamed de Blasio for the death of the two police officers they felt like he had uh, fanned the flames of protest when he should have been uh, uh, uh you know unswervingly backing the police and so Really, ever since then he's just uh, fallen in line with uh as, you know with the whatever the you know his police commissioners want to do and, and the police unions here in New York also have a outsized influence especially the patrolman patrolman's benevolent association which is the largest of the five police unions um and they are incredibly uh you know right wing uh uh, uh, uh Almost apocalyptic in their view of the world, and, and and the idea that you know police should always are always right and should always be deferred to uh, It is a very intriguing force in New York politics. And unfortunately, uh, it seems like De Blasio really became cowed uh, by them, even in his first term, and and it's gotten uh, worse over time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and yeah, the, governor, so, of
0: course, yeah, a lot the of, whole question of uh, police, police unions money. Is- yeah what's that mm-hmm. uh the governor cuomo um is i think the the biggest recipient of police union money of any elected official, so you know you uh have that at multiple yeah. levels yeah
1: yeah I mean the police unions have uh, exerted tremendous influence uh in our state government as well because it, uh, often the state government uh you know makes all sorts of uh laws and rules that affect the city and i mean for example. Uh, just in the past couple of weeks, the state finally, uh, uh, under the pressure of all these protests, uh, repealed a 1976 law that, uh, really aggressively shielded the disciplinary records of, of, of police officers that made it almost impossible to know, uh, which officers on the force were, you know, behaving badly and had, and had, you know, long history, of, histories of violence, uh, and, and inappropriate behavior. Um and, and the reason that law stayed on the books for decades was because the police unions, uh, ha, uh you know, gave tremendous amounts of money to the governor and other legislators and also, you know, sort of wielded a lot of their power is not just in the money they throw around, but in their ability to sort of wield this law and order rhetoric and, and, and scare the uh, part of the public and the politicians into believing if we don't, you know, you know let the police you know run their business the way they 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 want to run their business, you know society will you know descend into anarchy and uh so that's part of what we're grappling with here. I think I think on some level de blasio uh is not only cowed by these people but you know may you know believe some of the sort of thin blue line rhetoric that if if we don't you know defer to the cops you know, in every way they demand, you know, society will start to unravel mm-hmm. uh, that sort of mm-hmm. almost, uh, you know, primitive fear of like, oh, you know, what's going to happen to us if our protectors, you know, are not there to protect us?
0: Mm. <clears throat> and uh, property, yeah. Um, um, you know, I mean, the... Yeah, it's funny. I, I think actually, you know, you know, always... one other
1: thing about the Blasio and the police that I think sure. is really important. The, the most uh, sort of I think basic function in the you know of the police here in New York and, and elsewhere is you know is protecting property relations. And, and New York City is all about real estate, and uh, you know having a massive police force and, and you know keeping crime down is seen as essential to making the city attractive to the kind of people who buy or rent market rate housing, which is where, you know, enormous, enormous profits uh, are extracted. So the real estate industry is king here in, in New York city. And from the time the Blasio came in, you know, he wanted to keep them happy and part of keeping them happy was, uh, you know, showing that, you know, the, that while he might try to reform the police department, he wasn't going to fundamentally change the relationship of of police, you know, as a a force for protecting their property Mm interests. Yeah,
0: that's, um, yeah, it's kind of like there's a disregard for people and an over-evaluation for property. I mean, this is reflecting our, you know, our, our, Money and cap, you know, in capitalism, money and and that, profit yeah, is this the highest. necessary
1: capitalist society, you know, values. that we've built over the last 100 years, and that you know, right. we're kind of coming to this, you know, coming to a certain reckoning with it at this time of right. multiple crises. You know, a, a, a crisis. You know, four hundred years of racial capitalism, have, you know, brought you know, brought about the, you know the racial crisis we're facing. We we face this public health crisis because we have built a health system on profit over. Care for people. We've, you know, we've, uh, you know, s- built a fossil fuel economy that, you know, abuses the earth, and now we're facing a climate crisis. So, yeah, there's we're there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of uh, structures that we've built that are facing uh, moments of uh, reckoning in 2020 and, and probably in the next uh, decade or two ahead.
0: Yeah, and I would add to that that we're facing a mental health crisis too, um, because uh, you know being uh,
1: hmm? difficult. Yeah, Yeah. I mean the times Uh, we're living in are uh, incredible, incredibly uh, straining for people.
0: Yes, I think it's 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 extremely difficult. There are a few, you know, part of the whole thing of lockdown is it um, takes away both social diversions. And social supports, um, and I mean even the opportunity to, you know, go to a bar and drink. Um, you know, although one could always people can always drink at home if they want to, but of course that isn't part of the conviviality. And so, and then people, you know, are therefore more prone uh, to look for authoritarian solutions and, you know, leaders they can, you know, uh, have a fantastic belief in and everything, and, and that's kind of also extremely in short supply to the point where people are then imagining that people have these <laughs> qualities or characteristics um, because it's just, you know, the level of endangerment from multiple directions is kind of a bit too much. Um, it's a lot too much. Yeah, I would, but
1: I, I would also say that this moment of social lockdown and, and, and as well as mass unemployment, is part of what I think helped fuel the scale um, of the George Floyd protests. I mean, people have yes. been pinned up for so long and, you know, acutely a sense, a sense that injustice of our society and that, that police officer's neck on the knee of George Floyd was not only a brutal crime against that particular man and, you know, reflected mm-hmm. the history of brutality uh, toward, uh blacks in America, but, you know, and a lot of ways symbolize the whole the way the whole system is set up even uh um for for you know non african americans in this in this country so yeah the, the people not having these diversions or distractions i think um yeah also made it possible for them to you know protest in mass and and you know show up day after day for for weeks that would not have i think happened under ordinary uh circumstances
0: that's that's very that's really true um you know <clears throat> shifting then a little bit i mean so that's kind of an upside, and then you get some potential for shifting some of you know these infrastructures uh that are so destructive and in you know and bringing us into decline in so many different ways and and if not extinction in fact, and one can't even say if not <laughs> because it's trending there but um You know, so, I mean, that brings us to the primaries. Um, You know, we don't know if we'll actually pull off having any kind of election or how much that might be manipulated. But right now and in the last month, New York had its primary. it originally wasn't supposed to have a primary because they basically just decided to get rid of it um, but that was challenged uh, and in in court and and the people won and there was a primary and the independent um, your paper you know really did a lot of coverage of the different candidates so you know i I'd love to hear um some of your kind of takes on you know who won and who lost you know and and uh the opportunities missed of the, some of the people who you know didn't uh you know w- win their primary and you know won't be proceeding at this stage and some of the people who will um both from obviously the most well known uh, politician in the country, one of the most well-known and popular uh, progressive politicians in the country, on to other new names who are, you know, now going to be heading into Congress and, you know, State Assembly and, you know, in other places. Uh, if you could just kind of give us a few of your highlights. Um, you know, kind of takes on that. And for people who want to learn more, the independent, I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T, because we're talking to the editor, John Talton today. And that paper is both a local paper in New York as well as available online. And you did really terrific and ongoing coverage of these amazing upcoming young candidates. So, you know, who would you you. like to highlight in in a kind of Sort of
1: good news bad news on that right our our, our primaries were originally scheduled for april 23rd and mm-hmm. and were uh you know pushed back due to the pandemic and were held on uh i'm sorry it was originally scheduled for april 28th and we're moved back to uh, june 23rd and and it's true the the, the, the governor and his uh, henchmen at the board of elections tried to cancel the presidential primary Uh, And and we're thwarted by that in court. And and ultimately, we did have a presidential primary on June 23rd, where Bernie Sanders uh, got 20 percent of the vote, even without any campaigning on his part. But, you know, the big story was, uh, you know, the the down ballot races. And what we've seen in New York, uh, you know, the the AOC effect uh, is, is a real thing here. You know, her campaign was inspired in 2018 you know, by Bernie's uh, run in 2016, where he showed that, you know, with grassroots support and, you know, a lot of small dollar donors, uh, you know, you could take on the establishment and she showed you could do that at the local level here in New York with her you know, shocking victory in 2018. And that's inspired so many other people uh, to run for office against these entrenched uh, machine incumbents that uh, since then, it led to the, Uh, flipping of our state senate in 2018 and a lot of uh, really progressive legislation came down the pipeline last year including uh, 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 reforms to rent laws that really uh, protected the housing stability of uh, uh, roughly 2 million New Yorkers. So there was a a lot of enthusiasm to do it again here in 2020. The pandemic, uh, you know, definitely threw uh, a wrench into people's plans because these insurgent campaigns have all really relied on being able to do door-to-door canvassing and mobilize hundreds of volunteers to, you know, flood a district and, and talk to to voters in, in a way that these, uh, you know, uh, lackluster incumbents just don't have that uh, enthusiasm around their candidacies. So these camps, a lot of these insurgent campaigns had to retool themselves after March, and and we really a lot more into phone banking and into. Do what you know, they call mutual aid and, and literally take, you know, uh, helping bring relief supplies uh, to their constituents in their districts and, and, and do that as a form of of outreach. And uh, and so there were, there were more victories here in, uh, in, in some of the down-ballot races. Uh, the Democratic Socialists of America ran a, a five-candidate slate for the candidates who running for the state legislature. At this point, uh, probably the most notable winner was a a public school teacher and one of the leaders of of the local uh, New York DSA chapter. His name is Jabari Brisport, and and we we featured Jabari's campaign. Uh, He's been a really prismatic leader in the in the DSA. Uh, He's um, uh, uh, African American, and uh, he'll be the first. uh, out LGBT uh, state Senator Tyler in New York uh, history. And uh, he, I would say, has a very promising future in politics. He's, uh, you know, outstanding uh, public speaker and thinks really you know, is really articulate and on the ball on, on so many things. And he, uh, you know, went up against a machine candidate in central Brooklyn and, and, and uh, you know, won by double digits. And, and really mobilized an incredible amount of uh, community support around his campaign. So I think people will be hearing more about Jabari in the in the coming years. And uh um there is another a DSA candidate uh running for state assembly in Western Queens in that same part of Queens where AOC uh had had so much success and he appears to have knocked off a five term uh machine incumbent um uh, by about seven points. And there's a couple other races involving democratic socialists that are sort of still up for grabs. We still have a lot of absentee ballots that need to be counted and that count will start today. So in the coming days, we'll find, uh, find out if, uh, if more of these insurgents have uh, broke through the, uh, you know, working families party also backed a number of candidates that prevailed. And then the, the biggest, uh, victory of all, uh, was the uh, con- congressional race. Uh, in, in district 16 where the incumbent Elliot Engel had been in office for more than 30 years and was a, generally a, a pretty conservative Democrat and a, a super aggressive uh, champion of Israel in Congress. And he was defeated by a, a, a middle school principal named Jamal Bowman, who really, you know, came out of a background of, of activism and community involvement and really inspired the people of his district in the northern Bronx and southern Westchester County, and at this point he's, he's holding a lead of over 25 points. With the mail-in ballots still be counted, but it's presumed he's going to win decisively. So that was extraordinary because basically the whole Democratic Party establishment—Hillary Clinton, Andrew Cuomo, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi—all of them tried to rally uh, support for for Engel and, and, and millions of dollars in. You know, dark money from, you know, various corporate, uh, packs and all of that flooded into the district and completely failed. Uh, you know, Bowen was a, you know, an extraordinary candidate and he had all these progressive groups uh, backing him as well. And, and he won decisively. So that really, I think also helped uh, demonstrate that, you know, AOC's victory in 2018 was not a fluke as, you know, some people would say if you can find you know, a, you know, a really outstanding candidate and mobilize support for them. Uh, there, there's probably a lot more Elliot Ingalls in the Democratic Party that can be knocked off in, in the upcoming years.
0: Yes, um, definitely. I mean, <clears throat> uh, move on all those kingpins uh, to the inertia that we've had at the national level in prevailing over, you know, the... A Republican takedown of everything, and you know you can call yourself the opposition, but if you know it's I can't, I can't, and I can't do this, you know we need to sort of send in uh, fresh troops uh, who are not beholden uh, to corporations in the same way. We've we've come to the end of our time here. Actually, about Don, on
1: connecting, yeah, that's connect- that We're
0: sort of down to our last couple of minutes here. So. Oh,
1: sorry, sorry. Uh,
0: I'm sorry. I wish, you know, maybe if you got something really quick uh, to kind of a final word on all of this, you know, I'd love to hear it. And and but but we have to be off in about three minutes or so. So you know, and I wanted Just to a for all
1: the for all the lip service and the Democratic Party leadership you know gives to the mm-hmm. politics of identity, Jamal Bowman, you know, was a dynamic progressive African American candidate. No, they 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 all tried to stop him, including the, the <laughs> Congressional Black Caucus tried to come to Elliot Engel's aid. So, once you know that was one other takeaway from this race was once again the incredible hypocrisy of the Democratic Party leadership around uh, race and identity and the way they selectively weaponize it when it serves their purposes and you know set it aside when it doesn't.
0: Yeah, I think that's an important point for us to conclude on, too, because that really opens up, you know, the kind of um, tight and, you know, desperate embrace between the black population and the Democratic Party that has been key to its wins without the people getting anything back for it. Um, So, you know, this whole uh, everything that's happened really has opened that up a great deal and i think it can only be helpful thank you so much for being with us today on connect the dots john tarleton um, co-founder and executive editor of The Independent, which, uh, listeners, if you're in New York, you can find it at newsstands in your neighborhood, actually, at little kiosky things where it's given away freely. Uh, and you can also search for it anywhere because a lot of the coverage is relevant to everything that we progressives are about. Uh, and you can look online at INDYpendent.com um, for current articles. Is, is it is it .com or is it .org? Did I get that wrong? It's .org. <laughs> it's .org. Okay, it's .org. Sorry about that. Independent.org. Um, I should know that. Um, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. It's been great time. It's my
1: pleasure, here. Allison. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. And thank you, listeners, for being with us for today's Connect the Dots. I'm Allison Rose Levy. We'll be back next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern time on the Progressive Radio Network. Be well, be safe keep marching forward in company with all our relations